Gentlemen, support for KOTL is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in the men's below-the-belt grooming. But let's be honest, you are going to use it for your abs. You're going to use it for your chest. You're going to use it, man. The summertime is coming. You are going to thank me. Trust me, I tried it. It's got the six-pack approval. It's safe. It's easy to use. It's cordless. You could, I mean, you could get it wet. Don't worry. This thing seems like it's going to be dropped and keep on moving. And not only will you thank me, but your girl's going to thank me. Please support the podcast that has supported the community all these years. Get 20% off and free worldwide shipping when you use promo code KOTL and pick it up at manscaped.com. Alrighty, everyone, welcome to another episode of King of the List, and this is a special episode because we don't have Ryan Sixpack Lapidat around. I'm taking over, and I'm bringing on three lifters and coaches from France as they're heading into the IPF Classic World Championship. So on here on the episodes of King of the List, we're trying to get more lifters going into Worlds and going into the USAPL Nationals on before it happens to hear how everything is going for them. And also we'll have some after uh, Worlds and the USAPL Nationals kind of going over recap for them. So what I have today, I'll kind of give a quick little introduction before I bring them in. So we have Nicholas Peyrod, who is the 2021 the current reigning ipf junior champion in the 105 kilo class and then he moved up to the 120 kilo class for the europeans and won the european junior championship he's going to be competing this year in the open for the ipf classic worlds at the 120 kilo class currently nominated seventh and then we also have uh his younger sister clara payrod who got the silver medal at the junior championships as well last year in sweden in the 69 kilo class and then won the European championships um, also last year in the junior 69 kilo class and then is going to also be competing this year in the open in the 69 kilo class and is currently nominated fourth going into worlds and then of course we have Charlotte Vidal who is a coach for Team France and Charlotte I was going to ask you as well since you're IPF category two referee are you going to be refereeing at all this year or are you just going to be coaching? I should be refereeing too but they put the referee schedule today and I wasn't on it so I don't know I wrote Stanley so it's a surprise I can't I <laughs> that's what I was... go ahead I, I could be refereeing or not but we'll see. Okay, that's what I was wondering because I saw in the nominations you were just listed as a coach for France, but you weren't listed as a referee. Um, but but either way, you'll either be there uh, coaching, you know, some of the sessions, and then maybe refing as Charlotte. Like I said, is also a IPF category two referee. Um, so I want to kind of get started. Like I, people are always interested in hearing how people got one just into lifting, just any kind of weightlifting, and then how they got into the actual sport of power, like how they found out a bit about it. So we can kind of go around and Nicholas, if you want to start us off, like tell us like kind of what age, like how you got into lifting, how you got into the gym, and then when did you first hear about powerlifting? Oh, okay. Um, I started lifting with um, preparation physical for rugby. Because uh, when I was young, I played rugby a lot. And uh, at physical preparation for rugby, 
We we did uh, SBD weightlifting, for example, CrossFit, and um, I had a good level compared to other guys in uh, squat, bench, and deadlift. And my father looked to see if uh, there was a sport of uh, strange, strong, and uh, it's uh, it's that I start uh, powerlifting. Yes, his father looked, and then he found there was powerlifting sport, and he told Nikolai, you should go to the gym, and that's it. And <laughs> their father is into bodybuilding, well, just training, so he he created uh, a special bar with tire, and they used to put it on a trestle, so the, the first videos of Nikolai lifting at 14 it, are quite funny. <laughs> And uh, what year was it, uh, Nicholas, that you first did your powerlifting competition? Oh, uh, I have started at uh, 16, and uh, my first uh, French national uh, sub-junior uh, was against uh, Corentin Clément. And uh, I have lose, lost uh, for five kilos, I think. And uh, she's great to, to see, uh, to compete. To compete with Corentin at World's Open, though, six, uh, they, uh, six uh, years uh, after. Yeah, they've always been against each other or next to each other, and they get on well. So it's always funny, and it's always a nice moment to see them compete along each other. That's that's interesting, and it's interesting seeing you get into it as a sub junior. You know, at least here in the U.S. Sub-juniors, maybe if they go through high school, will get into sport. If not, a lot of people get in later. They get in maybe juniors when they're at the university or maybe even in the open. Um, so, like, for myself, I didn't get started until I was, like, 23, I believe. So, a lot of people start later. So, it's good to see, you know, start off early and now already as a junior being able to compete in the open. Um, what about Claire? I'm wondering if she got into lifting because of you or did she get into lifting before you? Um, I start for lifting... Before Nicola? No, because uh, because of Nicola, sorry. Uh, like um, less than one year later, um, Nicola asked to me to did a deadlift uh, just for fun, mm-hmm. and I deadlift 100 kilos at 14, I think. Uh, so mm-hmm. I didn't start competition. But I just did powerlifting for fun, and I start one year later when I was fifteen uh, as not a sub junior, but in France we have a class under sub junior. Um, yeah, it's in France sub junior is only sixteen and seventeen. So if you are under sixteen, uh, it's like high school training. And it's a bit different, so you only have two attempts, and uh, the referees are also grading you on on your technique, and it's you then multiply your grade by the load, so it's to encourage lifters to have a good form when they are under sixteen. That that's interesting because here in the U.S., uh, other than the sub juniors, they created like a youth one, youth two, and youth three for like. 8 to 9 year olds, 10 to 11 year olds and 12 to 13 year olds. And they tried to put some rules in to encourage similar stuff like that. Like they wanted the nationals to be where they add up two attempts per lift 
So they encouraged people to make attempts rather than going all out, but they weren't able to get that pass through. So they grade them standard, just like any other competition, except for there's no best lift reward because again, they don't want them like one, the formula is not good for like a nine-year-old and two, they don't want to like make it like too competitive um, and just let them go out there. So it's interesting that you guys have set up a system where it does encourage them to have good technique and get started um, off on a good note. Yeah, it's a nightmare when you're taking the referee exam to learn all the rules for the youth, but I think it's good because it encourages the youth to practice in a safer way, maybe. It works. I could send you the referee, the, the rules. Sure, it'll be it'll be interesting to see and see if there's anything they can maybe implement here. And and I know about the the, the referee uh, test being confusing because we had a similar thing here when USAPL was part of the IPF. USAPL has youth one, two, three. They have teen one, two, three. They have juniors. Um, we do masters um, A and B, like five year age groups. So you have to learn like USAPL rules, and then you have to learn like IPF rules. So uh, it gets a little bit confusing, but you know you just have to stay on top of it going into each of the meets. And then for you, Charlotte, how did you get into lifting? And then how did you meet Nicholas and Clara? So I got into lifting when I was in high school because uh, I didn't get on well with my sister. And instead of fighting against her, I wanted to fight to find a way to just um, have sport and keep calm. And um, some guys of my class were going to a gym and I followed them. And it was the gym of Hassan El Belgiti, which is in a French-equipped uh, powerlifting team. So I started to train just uh, like regular stuff. And then I met a guy we trained together and he went to powerlifting. And so not to train alone, I went into powerlifting just to try. And my first competition was a team competition because in France we have uh, a team event uh, every year so one person does the squat another one the bench and another one the deadlift and they were missing someone so I said okay but it's just to try and it's been 12 years so <laughs> it's been a while and, and then how'd you how I was gonna say and then how'd you meet Nicholas and Clara uh, I saw Nicholas at a, at a junior championship and I just asked my coach, wow, who is he? Like, how old is he? And then we chatted on Instagram. Okay. And, and I didn't realize that, Nicholas, I was going through your meet results that you were at the Bench Worlds in 2019 in Japan. Um, so, because I was looking to see if you've traveled internationally before. And I, I saw that, that you competed in the juniors there. Uh, I just wanted to, one mention, I was there too. So it's interesting that, we never actually met, but we were both at that same competition in Japan together. And um, I wanted to ask, how did you feel like traveling, you know, into a, another continent and competing at a world championship for the first time? Yeah, he was only he was only 18 when he qualified. Actually, he had ACL surgery this year, so that's why he was mainly benching. And uh, he had to negotiate with his parents and especially his, their mom because they didn't want their their son to to go to Tokyo alone. Um, so I think it was 
it was a great experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it, it was holidays. holidays. It's like South Africa. He didn't. You don't go just for the competition. You try to stay and visit. So yeah. it was really the first trip, really far yeah. and. Uh, I remember seeing on his phone. Uh, he made mm-hmm. a snap just after the competition, and he he was just saying like taking a selfie and saying I've done it, and all I want is like step on the platform internationally again. So they are that, just waiting to go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's great. I mean, the first time I traveled for a world championship was 2014 when, when it was actually in South Africa. So I know what it's like, like kind of going by, by myself. You're going to another continent. You're going to your first world championship. I was just going as a coach, but it was still like stressful and everything like that. But it definitely makes it more uh, more easy now. Like anytime I'm traveling, that you know how it how it feels to travel and deal with the time zones and different food and different money, everything like that. So I think that gives uh, you, Nicholas, an, an advantage to some of these other lifters. A lot of lifters are going to Worlds for their first time this year, or maybe they've gone before, but it was less travel. So it's easier from like US to go to Canada or like France to go to Sweden than it is to go somewhere like Japan or South Africa. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that some more as well as we're going along um, in this episode. And obviously for those listening, um, Charlotte's doing a little bit of translating as well to help out with the interpretation of the questions and the answers. Uh, so if you're listening to that, just bear with us. Uh, what I want to go in next is kind of like more current schedule is hearing from both of you, Nicholas and Clara, Nicholas, if you want to start again, is like, what's your training schedule like? They always like to hear like, how many times a week is the lifter training and how many times a week are they doing squat, bench press and deadlift? Well, uh, currently, uh, with rugby is over, is a season is was uh, finished. So I have tried to train in uh, just three times a week, but uh, three is BD training. With... Um, uh, Wednesday SBD is uh, just light with violations and uh, I train uh, Monday and Friday with uh, SBD with a lot uh, of intensity of volume and uh, I like it. Uh, I have well, four days for my recuperations and uh, that's, that's good for me. Yeah, yeah sure it's, it's, it gives more time yeah. to yeah, to recover yeah. It is that way. And Nicolas doesn't mind going to the gym for four or five hours. So even for me, I know he's three times a week at the gym and he's there for all the afternoon, but we have more free time uh, the other days. And to recover, it works works well. Well, he's used to having a a big workload thanks to rugby. So big trainings are not a problem. And Clara? And then... Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Clara. Uh, I train five times a week currently with uh, three squats, three bench, and two deadlifts. But after the open worlds, I want to try three SBD a week like Nicholas because it's holidays and I want to have good time and not um, fast one a half of my day in my gym so i'm i'm like nicolas uh i don't care to spend far five hours in the yes. gym 
but uh, I want to have good times with my friends too. So yeah, yeah, sometimes it's easier to spend more time in the gym once you are there, and then have times yeah. uh, where you have days when you can do something else. And Clara is also uh, working for the state, so sometimes she needs to go in the mountain for the days yeah. to yeah for events and stuff like that. So training more is sometimes more complicated as long as they recover well it's not a problem yeah d definitely i have to agree you know for some of my lifters who work a full schedule sometimes the shorter workouts are easier like hey just go in four or five nights and do one hour and get out of the gym but for some people yeah who do have maybe a better schedule as far as school or work and want to travel and everything like that it's good to hear that you're adjusting the training based on your life hey i want to do like let's say monday wednesday friday so i have time on weekends to go do other things where here in the u.s it seems like a lot of times the mentality is just go more and more and more and more so like go from four days a week to five days a week to six days a week and go from two hour sessions to three hour sessions and just be there all the time and then you don't have time to do anything else your whole life becomes powerlifting so it, it's good to see some elite level lifters that are um you know managing that and balancing it with their life um i also want to mention i don't know if, if uh, nicholas had said it it was a little hard hearing it is are you also doing accessory work like things for like biceps and triceps and back and abs and everything like that or just squat bench deadlift um in off season i like uh, to do uh, accessory works just a little but uh, for my preparation for my nationals and uh, no forwards i just do uh, sbd and uh, just uh, well, back and or exercise for my earth yeah, yeah, just mobility work and stuff like that, just yeah. to be healthy and yeah. for the small pains and aches that come with the with the preparation. But yeah. it's been a hard work, and Ariane, you and Jason uh, have helped us through this because Nicola yeah. used to think yeah. that the more is the best. But yeah, he's done better doing less uh, less accessories. So. That's good to hear. It's good to see that um, from the, the numbers that Nico's putting up in the gym. And then obviously we'll see what happens at Worlds that it's it's working well for him. Um, so for those listening, the strength guys has like a internship that we do. We start off with Jason really taking on people. And then lately I've been coming on and helping with anyone who wants to learn more about coaching, especially for people who are also in university getting a degree, you know, in exercise science, something like related to that. So uh, Charlotte and Nico are both on that learning a lot of stuff as far as how we do our coaching and then implementing that stuff. So it's, it's obviously good to see it uh, working and we'll see, you know, as far as what happens at worlds for Nico, I also want to ask you, since you had mentioned about the rugby is like a lot of people probably don't know one, they may not know who you are as a lifter and two, they may not know that you're also a rugby player and you kind of been doing powerlifting on the side. So you had mentioned like how your training is during rugby season and then off season, how long does the rugby season go? And then like, how do you adjust your programming? Like, do you pull back the difficulty of your programming when you're in the rugby season? Uh, rugby season starts uh, for the um, festival preparations uh, during uh, August. And then, uh, and then the, the game days only start in end of late August and September, the official game days. And uh, uh, you finish... Uh, 
end of April? Yeah, de uh, depending on the category, uh, like the the top top fourteen, uh, they are finishing right now. But Nicolas' yeah. last game was on the thirteenth of April, so it gives us it has given us time for to prepare for worlds. But it did well for the preparation of uh, of nationals, even with rugby. And uh, you, usually, what changes is the training at the beginning of the week. Uh, he used to train four times, and instead of doing SVD on Monday, he was only doing bench press uh, because he was sore from the game day of uh, of Sunday, and so he was doing. A light squat and light deadlift uh, on Tuesday too. Yeah, yeah. I have to for lifting training, over load be training, and I just uh, take a rest Saturday for for feel good in the game day on the Sunday on rugby. Yeah, I was going to ask: Is for rugby? Is it just once a week the games? Yeah. So when the rugby season is on. Uh, Nicola is training four times, so Monday he, he only has bench, and Tuesday he has uh, squat and deadlift, and on Wednesday he had light uh, SBD? light SBD, and then Friday heavy SBD again, and he needs to train for rugby on Tuesday and Thursday too. So when he was still in the French Navy, it was like difficult days because we used to go to the gym at 7 a.m. And then he went to work uh, from 9 to 6 p.m. And then he went to rugby from 6 to 10. So he was like coming back home and just sleeping. Going forward, Nico, do you still want to do rugby and powerlifting together or do you feel like you're starting to like powerlifting more uh, no uh, i my priority is uh, powerlifting yes priority is powerlifting but i think i can play one one year one year more or two two years more i don't really know okay yeah. and then for for rugby do you have to keep your body weight down at a certain level to like stay conditioned and be good at the sport or is where you compete at in the 105s or a little bit heavier at 107 or something like that still good for competing in rugby oh no rugby nicola is in the fourth highest level in france so he used to play in the highest junior level in france but now it's a bit more chill and he's probably the fittest of the team so they don't really care how much he weighs <laughs> that's good to hear um and, and earlier charlotte you had also mentioned uh his training going into nationals which is one of the things i wanted to talk about is some people always wonder what's the qualification process for each level in a different com country compared to theirs so if you can like briefly charlotte let us know like how does someone go from a local competition to qualifying for nationals and then how do they go from like nationals qualifying for like a european championship or a world championship so we used to have to do two competitions at a state level to qualify for nationals, but now it's only one. So there's a qualifying total you need to reach uh, per weight class. And if you reach this total 60 days before nationals, you can then 
go to nationals. And uh, it's a bit the same for international competitions. There's a qualifying total. So if you do the qualifying total during uh, a national competition, then you should be selected. The problem is that France is becoming a big country and now we have so many people reaching the international uh, level. And as you know, the teams uh, are restricted to nine lifters. Uh, yes, don't remember if it's eight or nine, but I need to remember. Eight, eight for open. Eight for open. Oh yeah, nine is for junior. So it's restricted. So we don't have, most of the time, we don't have enough plays. Like this year in the 52 categories, uh, four girls reached the like world level and uh, another two the European level. But as you know, we only have no, we already have Noemi and Shizuka who are first and second in the world, so we are only sending them. And then for uh, Nico and Clara who are juniors. Did they get a exemption from the junior nationals to go to junior worlds, or are they planning on planning on passing on junior worlds? Uh, they they can go from junior from open worlds to junior worlds, but it's like an, okay. it's like an exception. And if you want to qualify for open, basically you do open. But maybe you've seen junior nationals were last week, so only Tiffany uh, did them because. I think it's um, it's her gym who organi- which organizes the nationals, and uh, she's still young in powerlifting, so she wants to do more competition to feel less stressed and more confident on the platform. So I think that was the reason. But Jade, Lula, and Clara, who are junior, are only going to open world. Okay, yeah, I saw Tiffany do that meet, weighing in uh, pretty light. And um, I saw she put up, like, maybe the fifth best total ever in the 52s. So now France has Noemi, Shizuka, and Tiffany, if she doesn't want to cut weight for the 52s. Yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, so what, what's the or f- fourth best? So it's Noemi, Shizuka, Joy, Namani, and then Tiffany Chopin right there, fourth. Um, so w- what's the environment like at like these local competition at nationals like for us on the outside looking in it seems like every meet there's another french lifter that comes out that's putting up huge numbers um but like when you're at these competitions what's it like are are these competitions big are there is there a competition like every week or every month Uh, what's it like uh the rule book has changed last year because there used to be only uh local local meets had to be all at the same time, then regional state meets had to be at the same time, then one national, but they've changed. So now I think there are competitions maybe every other week somewhere in France. So it's great, but depending on the competition, it can be super small. And like, I, I've heard that some competition took place like in a kitchen. So I don't know. I've never seen this, but... Uh, in the in the states we're in, uh, local competitions are quite big. We used to have around eighty lifters for regional, which is uh, a huge for one day. And nationals, we have around one hundred competitors, so it's on two days. Because maybe uh, you don't know, but in France we have paid holidays, and so 
people do not really take unpaid holidays and they don't like to compete other than Saturday and Sunday. So usually the competition are restricted on Saturday and Sunday. I went okay. to Canada five years ago and I remember the nationals were like starting on Thursday, but this would not work in France, I think. Yeah, and, and Canada has it where they combined all their nationals into one event. So they have the bench only, the full power, they have the raw, they have the equip, they have all the age divisions all in one. So yeah, it can take, you know, four or five, maybe six days. And then for the people setting up and running the event, there's also the whole setup day and breakdown day. So it turns into a whole thing. Here in the in the US, we've tried to split it off because some of the events get so big. So for example, with the Powerlifting America now, the new federation, we already had the bench nationals in February. And then we had just the classic open powerlifting in April. And then now they're going to have everything else in June. And so now for June, it's getting close to 300 lifters. And they're trying to keep it, I believe, the two days. So they went from one platform to two platforms. And now I think they have to go from two platforms to three platforms for some of the sessions to fit the 300 lifters in. So there, there's pros and cons to each, uh, each different way of doing it. Yeah, I think we've only had once uh, two platforms at the same time at nationals, but usually it's only one platform because uh, it's. I think you need more people uh, to load and referee, etc., on on two platforms than you do in on one. And for example, this year at junior nationals, they had not many referees, and for some sessions. Uh, the three referees were from the same team because they had no choice. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, here we, we do struggle referees too. For us, I don't know what it's like for you in France. About 5% of our total federation membership are referees. So only 5% are referees. And then for these bigger events, when we do have three platforms, or sometimes USAPL has had five platforms going on, You need to get so many of your referees committed to come and work. And maybe we're a little bit fortunate here that a lot of the referees are older and they're retired. So they have the time to come in on a Thursday or Friday or Monday. And they also have the money to travel because they're not getting all their expenses covered. But it's definitely always a struggle. I had to be the technical secretary for one of the university championships where it was five platforms. And it was so difficult trying to get all these referees to come and schedule them for five platforms for four different days. Uh, I can imagine. Um, I, saw, uh, I saw the video go of ahead. John uh, Downing when he organized uh, uni nationals and it was so huge. So yeah. must have been a lot of that, that's referees. The, that, that's the one that had to work because, you know, John's my friend and he's like, Hey, do you want to be the secretary for my championship and like help me out? So that's what the one I helped him out with. And yeah, it, it was crazy. And then the amount of coaches in the warm up room for five platforms for, you know, two flights per platform. It was just everyone was bumping into each other and like that. But that university championship, like that's what it's known for. There's such big teams there and they've been doing it for so many decades that like they love that experience. They love having, you know, so many of their lifters there and a huge crowd there and, and just, you know, going crazy. Um I was also going to ask you, Charlotte, as far as France, because I know some of the other European countries, do you have to first be part of a powerlifting like club, like a gym, and then go and compete? Or can any individual just go and compete? Uh, they've also created individual license, but it's, uh, it's a bit more expensive. But now you can, because um, like 
when I began 12 years ago, the basic fit and like commercial gyms didn't exist. So we used to go to clubs and then you just signed up for your club and get go get coached by the master two of your club. But uh, powerlifting has changed a lot as you and Brian talked with Pana and Coco and like social media and classic lifting in general. So now you can just train wherever you want and sign up for a meet uh, with an individual license. Okay. If you can like quickly go over some of the costs, because people always like want to hear how much does it cost to be like a member of the French organization? How much does it cost to like compete in a local competition or a national competition? Whoa, I am really not sure. Uh, I think... Uh, Nicola knows so the individual uh, license is 150 euros. And then to sign up for meets, uh, for... Okay, so for uh, local meets, it's between 5 to 10 euros. But, and for nationals, it's 50 euros. But the cost depends on if you are part of a club or not. Because if you are part of a team, then your team can organize competition. So the license to the federation is only 40 euros instead of 150. And it's cheaper to sign up for meets too. And okay. they, they so, created some stuff like if your if your team organizes more competition or brings loaders or referees, you pay less. Okay, uh, we've we've had some meet directors try and do that. Like, hey, if you bring spotters, we'll, yeah, and you could pay less. But usually here in the U.S., they try and keep everything separate. So like. Everyone has an individual membership. Everyone signs up as an individual. And even for like worlds, you pay your own team fee as an individual, everything like that, um, and just keep everything separate. So it's interesting to see the, the different styles that are out there. Okay, so I want to kind of switch things over and start talking a little bit more about worlds now. And so I want to start off with Clara. And what I want to kind of set up first is how last year at the Junior Worlds, Clara, you had a battle with Agnes Rune from Sweden where she beat you by two kilograms. And then later on, you guys both went to the European Championships, went head to head again, and you beat her by two kilograms. So now you're one and one, and a close battle each time coming down to the very end. And now one of your competitors at the Classic Worlds for the Open Age Division is now going to be Agnes as well, because you're nominated at fourth and Agnes is nominated at fifth. So this is something that, that Ryan really likes to hype up, and lifters like to see these head to head battles. So just wondering. As far as like your side, like, are you guys friends? Do you guys talk to each other? Do you like the competition? Are you uh, interested in seeing this uh, uh, doing this battle again? Or what are your what are your thoughts as far as you versus Agnes? Um, uh, I uh, I don't know. Uh, I talk to her at Europeans, so we are in good terms. But I consider her like my rival. So, yes, I respect her, but I, I can't say I like her. Um, honestly, I'm not really fan of her attitude. Um, but it's, she's a good lifter, too. Um, so, it was a surprise for me. She participated at Open Awards, and it could be a good training to prepare the Juno Awards in August. So let's see what I can do against her. 
Agnes is the first real opponent Clara has. When she was a sub-junior, she won by a lot. And at every competition, except Samantha for the, like, points, but she had no opponent in her weight class. So uh, open, uh, no, Junior Worlds was the first battle of Clara ever. And it was a bit a surprise. And I think she's worked a lot on her mental state and mental, mental attitude uh, toward the competition since that time. So it's great. Yeah, and, and it's good to hear. You know, I think maybe some people are like scared to say like someone's the rival or they want to beat someone. I know in powerlifting, we're all like supposed to be, you know, we're not, we're not like rugby. We're not hitting each other. We're supposed to like, you know, just do our lifts and they do their lifts and you see how things play out. So it can be more friendly, but it's good to see you say like, yeah, she, you kind of see her as a rival. It kind of surprised you at the, at the junior world, seeing her come out of nowhere and beat you. And you came back and beat her at the Europeans. And now you're kind of surprised to see her open, but obviously you'd like to beat her again. And as far as your other competitors, um, ahead of you, you have Marta Jenner from Norway, Chandler Bab from the U.S. Virgin Islands, and Ivana Horna from Slovakia. Um, have you ever met any of them before? Do you look up to any of them since they are open lifters and you're juniors? Um, what are your thoughts on your other competitors? Um, I don't think I have met this lifter. So it will be the first time. Um I am excited to lift against Chris and what's the list name? I think it's Kylie. I I'm sorry, I don't remember. She's more yeah. excited to lift against, against the, the girls American. from US. Yeah. And the top. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Kristen Dunsmore and, and Chelsea Savitt. <laughs> yeah. And, and and then. Go ahead. Chelsea are more active on the social media, maybe. So I- I've seen Kristen lift at Walls, and I think she hurt herself or she had a, a bad time. And yeah, it's going to be great to to lift on the same platform for Clara. Yeah. 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 Kristen was there at the 2019 Worlds in Sweden. Yeah, she was injured, but she was there and then Chelsea had gone to worlds back in 2017. Um, so they both been to worlds before and, and yeah, definitely they're more active on social media. Maybe the U S lifters in general, are just more active on social media and can get bigger following. So like Kristen has a, a pretty big following versus like Ivana does post on social media, both for weightlifting and powerlifting. But I feel like, yeah, maybe people don't follow her as much. Um, and Marta Jenner, it seems like she's been posting her lifts a little bit more lately. So we'll see if she gets, you know, some more followers and stuff like that and continues to post it. Um, and then just in in general, um, since you had mentioned also the mental aspect of it, how does it feel for you, Claire? Like, you know, you went from a period where maybe you didn't have a lot of competition in the sub juniors and then juniors, you have this competition, Agnes. Now you're going into the open and now there's competition first through seventh place or even eighth place. Like, how does it feel? Like, are you training even harder than before? Or are you maybe not as stressed about it because you're going to be going to junior worlds later where you can compete against other juniors? Um, I'm excited and nervous at the same time. Um, I'm excited because I'm first on the good lift formation and I can believe that. And I'm nervous because I'm always nervous before a competition. But... Um, 
like to say, Charlotte, I work a lot on my mental preparation. So, and I just want to take fun on the performance of the day. And I'm just focused on that. So, yeah, it's just a competition. And I can't wait to see what I'm able to do on the day against the open lifter. Um, yeah. And I think before before this year, Clara did her best competition at uh, nationals last year, and she was uh, lifting against Leah. And because she thought she could not win, uh, she was relaxed and she had the best competition ever. And I think she's an outsider. She's only from two thousand and two, so she knows she has nothing to prove. She's just here because. She's strong, and even if she doesn't win, it's it's not a big deal. She's here to take experience, so it's different than going to junior and being nomi- nominated first. Yeah, definitely. It's like the experience of one going against all these high-level lifters who have won worlds before and have plenty of experience, but also the experience, as we've discussed before, is like with the travel is... A lot of people don't have that experience of going to another continent, different time zone, different food, different money, figuring all those things out. So getting it out of the way now, like a little bit less stress. Oh, it's the open. Like If she gets fourth, it's not a big deal. If she can steal second or third, people are going to be shocked that, you know, a junior lifter is placing on the podium. And then that experience is going to help going forward as far as like anytime they have worlds in the future uh, somewhere else. And then. On the uh, flip side, talking about Nico, we had mentioned before how you've already gone to Japan before for the Bench Worlds at the 105 kilo class. And then last year you competed in Sweden at the Junior Worlds, uh, won the 105 kilo class, and then turned around and did the Europeans as a light 120, 106.4 kilos, and then did the Nationals as well as a light 120, 106.7 kilos. So now you kind of are nominated, you you were nominated in the 120s initially, you were thinking about going between 105 and 120. I just want to kind of hear your thoughts, Nico, or Charles, if you want to explain it, as far as the move from 105 to a light 120, and then the decision to stay 120 for Worlds. So, maybe we can talk a bit about this later, but in France, uh, it depends on your ranking on Goodlift, whether the federation pays for your trip or not. So moving to the 105 would have placed Nico fifth, I think, or fourth. So he would have been paid by the Federation. And that was on one side. But on the other side, uh, as he said, he's been lifting against Corentin a lot. And he doesn't want to battle against him. And even if the 120, there are more lifters, um, it's... It's in the 120, it's like everything is possible. Even if he's going to weigh uh, under 110, uh, like anything is possible because from the first place to the 10th place, I think it's really close. And I think mm-hmm. he wanted to battle and not battle against Coco. Yeah, it's just a choix strategic. I think I'm going to choose the podium. Uh... En étant à 109 kilos de yeah, and, uh, and being at 109, like just a bit 110, is where Nico is the best. But when he's at 14, 15, 105, 105, 
uh, it's harder, especially in bench press. So that was part of the decision process. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting. Some people may not think about that aspect or either of those aspects is one, the funding, because a lot of countries maybe get no funding. So I don't think about that aspect of picking where you're going to be nominated higher and get more funding. And also the team aspect of it. A lot of people don't focus on the team points and the placing. So to hear like, you know, you're also considering that versus Coco, you don't want to knock him down a place or him knock you down a place and then get less team points. Whereas if he can get, you know, top three and you can get top three individual weight classes and knock some other people down, then that can help with the team points as well. And then since you are now committed to the 120, since it is final nominations are closed, you can't change it. You're nominated seventh. Um, as far as the lifters above you, are there any that like you, again, similar to what I asked Claire, any that you like follow, any that you're friends with, you've seen before at a championship, those kind of things? Yeah, Bryce from Canada was one of Nico's idol. Yeah. Uh, we used to watch the video he made uh, mm. when he moved to 105 uh, to 120. And yeah, he made mm. kind of a movie and uh, Nicola is watching him lift, like has been watching him mm. for years. So it's really an honor. He was thinking of asking him to switch uh, singlets or t-shirts because he's really looking forward to stepping on the same platform. Yeah, that'd definitely be cool for, for those listening. I don't know. It's kind of a thing when you go to Worlds is like maybe switch either like some kind of Federation t-shirt or your national team t-shirt or maybe even the singlet or the jacket. So some people like collecting them from different countries. So that'd be cool to get a, a, a Canadian singlet, but also get the one that uh, Bryce is competing in, especially if he pulls like the world record Delph in that one. That would be a, a cool one to have and be able to like, maybe train. Maybe you get some of that, that Delph power from him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but definitely this this weight class is is another one. Both the 105s and 120s are stacked. So the 120s is stacked with Eric Willis being a former champion, Bryce Krawcheck having the world record deadlift, and and he's gone to worlds before, both raw and equipped. And also Enrique Lugo is a raw and equipped lifter, so he has some experience as well. Um, though this will be his first uh, classic uh, worlds. And then just going into your guys' training, we don't want to necessarily go into the exact numbers and that, those kind of things, but how does it feel as far as like for you, Nico, for your training? Are you trying to push it as hard as possible going in this world to try and place as possible? Or are you trying to like make this also like uh, lower stress and just do this, see how you place and then focus more on the juniors? No, I train harder than never. Harder than uh, I have trained for national this year. And... Um, my goal this year is uh, World Open. Yeah, uh, last year yeah. Nicola didn't have uh, many opponents. Well, he switched to the 120. Uh, and in the 105 at Worlds and in the 120 at Europeans, uh, he won by 20 or 30 kilos, mm-hmm. I think. So uh, he's really looking forward to having a big, ba- a big battle. And I think because of rugby, he has always been uh in this mental state to have opponents uh this is what he feels a lot between clara and nicola is that nicola has done rugby so he is used to uh having battles and uh yeah and that but clara clara is uh riding horses it's it was different 
So I think he's really looking forward to to open. And, and for as because it's the last year as a junior of Nico, he will try to place even if the priority is to have to have fun. He still wants to compare himself to open. And mm. take and take the oh, and take the junior total record, which is uh, eight ninety five. Yeah. In the one twenty, I think. Yeah, I can pull that up. I was also going to ask as far as the junior worlds and the timing of it being like late August, early September. Nico, are you going to be back to training for rugby at that point? Uh, yes, I began. Uh start just little the yeah the the like summer prep phase uh of rugby begins uh during august uh, yeah so he will have started uh for one month but i just uh, will go one times per week before the worlds and uh game days uh, only uh, start in september so yeah Okay, so so not too bad, but also yeah, for, for, it seems for this open world, it's a good time as far as the rugby schedule to get more of your training in and really focus on pushing the numbers. I pull up the records, and it's interesting for the junior men for the one hundred fives. Coco has that eight ninety five, so he could potentially break that record since he's a junior. And then for the one twenties, uh, Sang from Turkey has an eight ninety two point five, so you have the chance to break that. So then you have. The French lifters breaking the 105 and 120 uh, junior world record total. So that would be definitely interesting to see as seeing more and more juniors competing in the Open Championships and then seeing how well they perform. Um, and then I guess we can also kind of switch into what you're... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, just Nicola wants to say that he has never played so much uh, rugby rugby games that before nationals i think because he was playing for the french navy too he had like eight or nine weekends uh with uh a game day every sunday and he performed well at nationals it was his first ever nine out of nine so we we don't really mm -hmm. understand why but he's nearly feeling better when he has rugby than when he has less I mean, maybe it was also the uh, attempt selection. Were you the one who picked it, Charlotte? Yeah, well, as we told before, we've worked a lot on this uh, with the TSE internship, and I'm trying to make Nico uh, be more reasonable and not reach the stars. Um, and it's for nationals. The, the head coach wanted the lifters to have more in the tank, so it was, it was easier to make him change the attempt. Yeah, it's definitely good to see that, like, especially on the deadlift is the one we, we've discussed about before. And I, I would pick on Nico is, you know, at the Europeans taking a 20 kilo jump from the 330 to 350. And then in a previous meet um, last year as well in France going from like 335 to 355.5. So you take these big jumps, you miss and you lose out on all those kilos. So seeing him turn around at the Nationals and do 330.5 to 343 get get three deadlifts in, put a good total in, have more in the tank, and now he can build on that going into Worlds. Yeah. But 
now you have to talk him um, to do the same at Worlds. <laughs> I mean, with with the Worlds, the the different factor is there because then it comes to the placing. So from there, you, you you're not always trying to oh let me just hit my own lifts, total what I want, and then go from there. You're going to watch what the other lifters are doing. What's Bryce doing? What's Enrique doing? What's Eric Willis doing? And then maybe adjust the deadlift, maybe down to hold on to a placing or maybe up to in order to pull for a placing. So it's a little bit of a different strategy when a world championship or even the podium is on the line. Yeah, sure. But for now, uh, we had the discussion yesterday of uh, which bar is like the limit to place because he you like to pull 400 to play third, but we have to be reasonable too. So this is our discussion right now. Yeah, there's definitely the extreme examples on both sides. One, you don't want to go nine for nine doing like 80% of your lifts and then making everything really easy because what's the point? You went nine for nine, but you left everything. But you also don't want to just load anything on the bar like, oh, I need 400 kilos to win, even though there's a 0% chance you're going to hit the 400 kilos. So it's finding that middle ground, which I, I think, Charlotte, you're figuring that out. Maybe Jason will talk to you all as well leading up, or maybe Jason and I can always talk to you all when we're there and uh, help, help guide you. Um, what day are you all flying out and getting to South Africa? Clara is uh, flying on uh friday night and we are flying saturday night so we will be there uh sunday morning so we will have okay. plenty so, of competition yeah and, and we all should get there around a similar time like ryan and i are leaving here on friday uh june 3rd and then we're spending a 12-hour layover in paris so we're going to hang out there and then we get to south africa the morning of sunday june 5th so we'll, we'll all maybe we'll be on the same uh, shuttle together who knows Oh, there's a chance but i saw some lifters are already there so i think it's gonna be interesting to see how lifters perform um depending on when they arrive like do they perform better if they arrived earlier or not yeah de definitely some different variables in there as far as yeah how early you travel and then what do you do when you're there? Because we we have some lifters, or I've heard of some lifters that will also be coaching a little bit. Like they coach other lifters. So they'll be in the warm-up room coaching their lifters first, and then they'll be competing afterwards. So depends on how much that messes with them, loading weights and you know getting stressed out over their lifter, maybe not eating or drinking while they're there coaching. So a lot, a lot of different factors there. Um, and then maybe the, the final thing I wanted to talk about too, which you had uh, brought up, Charlotte, is kind of like the government funding. So one of the things Ryan and I have been trying to do is like ask people from different countries, like whether they get government funding, what's it like? We've had some people on the podcast kind of explaining what their country is like since a lot of countries like us in the U.S. get nothing. So if you want to mention just some general information, I don't know if you know all the details as far as like how does the government funding work? Like do they fund the federation for national events or do they just fund the lifters for international events? Those kind of things. Well, they, the, the government funds the federation and uh, they pay Fabrice, which is our head coach. Basically, his job is to handle the money of the government and use it uh, for international competition, for medical uh, following of the athletes and stuff like that. So that's why he decides also of who goes and who doesn't go. And um, before, they, he used to select only some people. But now, uh, if you place between 5th and 8th on 
on preliminary at words, you can fund yourself. So for example, this is the case of Nico. He's not funding by the Federation. He has to fund himself to go uh, because the Federation uh, doesn't have the money to fund everyone, even if we are a stronger, a strong country in powerlifting. So basically, the federation for the athletes and for the coaches too. So that's why athletes can't bring their their own coaches. I know in USA, uh, you told me before when you were the the head coach of USAPL that all the, the the lifters were coming with their coaches. But in France, you have no choice but to be coached by the federal team. Yeah, yeah, it's different here because like everyone pays for all their own stuff and you do get like, you know, three coaches for one lifter and then it goes up from there depending on how many lifters are in a session is that the federation would usually pay for one head coach to go and then the lifters would bring their own personal coaches. So yeah, we'd have, you know, one personal coach, maybe sometimes two personal coaches for the lifter in the back room to help with loading weights and attempts and that kind of stuff. Um, and there's pros and cons to that because sometimes it could become arguing of what the personal coach things versus what the head coach things and who knows better as far as the rules and those kind of things. Um, but that's um, interesting that the, the way that the funding is worked d- done. I also want to ask as far as the funding or is it separate? Is there like payouts for winning a world championship or breaking a world record or winning best lifter? Uh, they used to be, but it costed so much to the Federation last world, last year at Worlds that I'm not sure they are going to do it again this year. Because, yeah, we because the women won best lifters and they had many world records broken. So, yeah, it's, had, it's costed so much to the Federation that I'm not sure. But I'm not the one deciding, deciding on this. And how is it? In- so you're saying uh, like Leah and I was going to say, so you're saying like Leah and Tiff and these other lifters ruined it for everyone else. Yeah, basically that's it. But they, they deserve, <laughs> they, they they deserve want- it. I mean, athletes are more and more professional. And I think that is why uh, the results are better. So to me, it seems normal that they have more help. But maybe SBD will pay more and the Federation will pay less. I don't know. Yeah, and was that money from the government or was it money that the Federation made itself from competitions? Um, it should be money from the government, but it's not, it's not like you said to the government, I have like 20k euros to pay, can you give it to me? It's They give, I think... Uh, 50,000 euros or 60,000 euros a year. And then uh, Fabrice has to organize everything. So some years they don't, they have money uh, left. But I think last year they had, they didn't have any money left. And so the federation had to pay from itself to the athletes to pay the, the prices for the placings. Okay, so maybe uh, going forward, they just have to figure out a better way to structure things where maybe it's less money or money for certain things and not money for other things to kind of bring that down. Like maybe you only do placing versus you don't do world records or something like that. Or maybe you do world records and not European records. For us in the U.S., there's there's nothing. Um, for for many, many years, there's nothing. It's you just pay your own way. You go compete and then you get your medal and you come home. In the more recent years, 
what USAPL had was doing, I think maybe 2019 and the plan was for 2020 was to, if you got like a top placing, let's say you're like the top five female as far as best lifters, then they would give your team feedback. Plus they would pay you out $500 on top of that. So it was like a small little bonus if you were a top lifter in the world for your um, event. And then the rest of it just comes from sponsors. So like SBD for their SBD athletes would cover whatever level they're at, whether it's just expenses or whether it was expenses plus their placing um, or, you know, maybe bring in their coach or things like that. And then there's some other sponsors out there that pay too. Like I think for Chance Mitchell, who's competing in a 93 kilo class, he's sponsored by Stoic. And I think Stoic is paying for his trip to go to world since he is first world and he's nominated second. So it's for here, it's really more just reliant on the sponsors and then the lifters putting their own money together. Yeah. Um, same same thing like originally for the coaches. Like I, go ahead. Oh no, I was just saying that uh, as Nikola is not paid by the federation, it's the same. It's A seven who pays for his trip. So it still works in France too. It's just okay. usually you don't need to. Yeah, and it was a similar thing with the coaches like it's gotten better and better but like when the first time i went to worlds in 2014 as a personal coach and i end up helping out some other lifters i pay for my own trip so i pay like 1200 us dollars for my plane ticket and then hotel and everything else like that to go back there and coach and the head coaches at first they would get like a just a uh, a certain amount so you got like let's say 1500 us dollars regardless of where you're going to worlds and you had to book everything yourself. So you had to figure out your own plane ticket, your own hotel room, your own meals, and however much of that 1500 it costs, that's how much it costs. So some people, you know, maybe broke even, some people maybe made some money or lost some money. But as the more recent years with USAPL, they did start to cover more and more. So they did start to cover the plane ticket, they did start to cover half the hotel room, plus you got the stipend on top of that. So it did get a little bit better for the head coaches. And then they were giving a little bit less for an assistant coach, like 500 US dollars, something like that for an assistant coach. Now with the Power of Thing America, since it's a brand new federation and they're starting with zero dollars, we'll see. I think maybe they're just covering the expenses or maybe the plane ticket for the head coaches. But but I'm not sure because I, I'd, uh, I'm not the head coach for this team. I'm just going as a personal coach. Um, but it, it's interesting to see how d- different countries do different things as far as the the funding the athletes and funding the coaches and whether the coaches are allowed to be there in the back room, those kind of things. Yeah, and I know in Great Britain, it's it used to be the same as in the US. The coaches had to pay for themselves. But I think I saw a post from Owen Herbal saying that powerlifting is now, is now recognized by the government. So it might change and be a bit more like France. It really depends on how the government recognizes your sport. And the Federation has battled a lot for this in France. Yeah, it's good to hear. I remember seeing that post from the British Powerlifting Federation about that. And it definitely, I think the post is going to help them out really with the anti-doping because they're going to get more of their percentage of their anti-doping fund covered by the government. But that could also mean that they can move that money over and use it for other things. So definitely the government funding helps for us in the U.S. It helped to just a sport growing. So if there's more money going into the federation, they can designate it to more things. And one of the big things is the U.S. USAPL had started to do a coaching course. So you can go in, in person for like a one-day coaching course and then they were using part of that money from that coaching course to help cover the head coaches for Worlds. So as that coaching course got bigger and bigger, more coaches signed up for it, then that helped. So 
federations can find different things like that that they can do to bring some money together and help cover these expenses for worlds well that's great my first time coaching was for the team event i told you for it was my second ever competition and hassan um uh, i was yeah i was in high school and hassan put me in front of of the the grid like good lift and he told me okay now you need to calculate what i need to win and just basically do the math and that's it and that's how i learn Uh, I was going to ask earlier too, Charlotte, for you, are you still training or are you just too busy with, with you know, work and, and everything else? I'm still training a bit. Uh, I have three sessions a week, but I'm finishing my PhD this year. So it's really not my priority right now. But maybe I think next year I will try to train a bit more seriously. It's a bit like you. With, I can see your bar from here. So I guess... <laughs> yeah i mean my, my my gym is very close but still yeah i'm kind of uh busy with other things and anytime i'm traveling it's hard like do i bring all my equipment with me do i find a gym or do i just skip out on it and then it, it can just be difficult to fare everything in so i i, I tell people I, ha- I don't i haven't trained since 2015 because since 2015 i have worked out and done lifts and done competitions but it was never serious i didn't have a structured training program i lift i wrote for myself and stuck to it and actually went into the competitions that way it was more just flexible whatever training i can get in and whatever i felt like doing on the day or whatever competition i felt like signing up for uh, doing it so yeah it's a little bit different once you get more into coaching or you getting your phd or people who run competitions those kind of things to stay uh dedicated to the training yeah, and I qualified for Bench Worlds uh, in 2020, and it was cancelled, and I qualified for Europeans last year, for Bench Europeans, and the Federation didn't send any team. So, to be honest, it, it was like, okay, never mind. <laughs> uh, I didn't qualify for any international meets, but my last meet was our 2019 Bench Nationals. Because that was like the easier competition for me to go to. I didn't have anyone to coach or maybe one person to coach. And so it was easy for me to compete. But yeah, then everything got canceled in 2020. So I didn't compete. And then all the meets that they put in at the end of 2020 and at the beginning of 2021, it was just too too hectic. Um, so I didn't really train or compete. So we'll, we'll see going forward if I compete again. Um, I, I want to go like... I think we're getting towards the end here. I just wanted to ask a couple more maybe quick questions. One thing I wanted to ask Clara is outside of your own weight class, the 69 kilo weight class, are there any of the other women's weight classes you're interested in watching or do you have one that's your favorite? No, est-ce que tu regardes dans les filles lesquelles t'impressionnent hors de ta catégorie? que t'as hâte de voir in first, Leah, because it's my friend too, and uh, it was it wasn't my idol first. Then he became she became my friend. So I can't wait to see what she do at worlds in the sixty three. Um, I really like Jessica Bernard, and I can't wait to see the battle with uh, the Polish lifter. Uh, I forgot his uh, name. But it will be a great fight, I think. Um, 
and that's it. I'm not really see the lightweight classes, plus more on the 53 and 76. Yeah, because it's the categories she's close to, yeah. maybe it's more interesting to see the other girls. Um, of course, yeah, plus, go ahead. Tiffany and Everpona. But I think Tiff is better. She's better. Yeah. Well, Tim, Tiffany in France. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we um, we recorded already um, our preview shows for the IPF World. So me, Ryan, uh, Rory Lynch from New Zealand, and then Bill McCartell from the U.S. We did the men's side and the women's side. So we're going to drop those episodes later. But yeah, those were some of the weight classes also we're interested in. Is one is the 47, seeing that battle versus Tiff and Heather and how that plays out. And then also the 76s with Jess versus Agata Sitko from Poland. Uh, uh, Ryan recently did an interview with Agata too, so people can listen to that one if they haven't heard already. And then with the 63s, yeah, just seeing what is Leah going to do and can she win the best lifter. So even though she may not have any competition in her weight class, it's just seeing how much does she push it and whether she can win uh, best female lifter for the championship. So definitely that's one that people want to watch as well. On the men's side, Nico, are there any weight classes that you're interested in? Anyone that you look up to other than Bryce Krawcheck, which you already mentioned? Yeah, uh, I can't wait to see the battle in uh, 93. Because uh, with uh, Gavin, Chance, Jonathan, uh, Sasha, the Germany uh, guy, it's, it's a very exciting battle. Uh, I have never... Uh, see uh, Taylor in competitions because uh, she don't have. Uh, he, he didn't lift last year, yeah. so. And uh, uh, Jesus Olivares impressed me to uh, powerlifting America national, so I can wait to see this. Yeah, for the 93s, again, again, that's one of the most stacked weight classes, if not the most on the men's side, where one through five could win. So I think that's another one people are really interested in watching. Do you have a prediction or a favorite for that one, Nico? Oh, I, I like Gavin. I think Gavin is... He have a chance. Uh, you have a... Do, um, he has done his nationals a long time ago, so it's he's a bit of a mystery compared to other lifters who lifted not so long ago. But I think for for which lifter are you talking about? Uh, Gavin. Okay, yeah. But I think Sasha Sasha is going to be a great opponent too. I saw him at the Western. Uh, competition he did two years ago and it was so impressive when you met if you met him in a like anywhere but gym you wouldn't you wouldn't bet he he's he could be a world champion Um, I, yeah, I think I think Sasha might be more of the mystery because he doesn't really post anything on social media and people don't know about him as much outside of Europe. And so he may come in there and surprise people. But yeah, with Gavin, it, it'll be interesting to see what numbers he comes back with. But at least he's been posting his squat training and his squat training looks strong. 
I think he did like a 327.5 squat recently. And I think the world record is like 331. So potentially he could try and break the world record squat. And if his squat's on point, maybe the bench and Delft are there as well. So it's definitely going to be uh, interesting there. Yeah, but I think... Uh, and then for, for you... Go ahead, Charlotte. Last year, most of the people from the US, they lost many kilos because of the jet lag, I think. I remember the opponent of Noemi in the 92 class. On D-Day, she, she looked so sore. And uh, I remember Gavin and Kaiko, they both told me that they were tired and they didn't perform their best. So I think they will still have a big jet lag from the people from the US. So we will see. Maybe Europeans, even if it's a long flight, we won't have any jet lag. So it will be easier for us. Yeah, definitely being in the, the same time zone, it definitely helps. And yeah, there's those those variables that people maybe don't account for that are normal. Like, for example, yeah, changing six time zones is going to mess with your sleep. And then also just the traveling can just feel beat up. The spending one or two days of just going from, you know, air, air, uh, airplane to airplane and checking in bags and going through security and getting COVID tests and going to a place and you don't know what the food's like and you have to exchange your money and all that kind of stuff. It definitely stresses people out. I think last year may have also been a little bit tougher for certain people, especially from the U.S. is like a lot of people didn't know whether the world was going to happen or not. And then people also didn't know whether the U.S. was not was going to send a team or not. So initially, USAPL was going to send a team and then they decided not to send a team. And then lifters found out they can switch to U.S. Virgin Islands. And so that can mess with your training, too, is like, do you do you start doing some heavy lifts or do you go into off season? And, oh, there's, there's this other way to get to Worlds and now you have to pick the training back up. So that may have messed with some people as well. But I think definitely that will be an interesting factor for this year is, you know, a lot of people maybe didn't compete in 2020. In 2021, a lot of Europeans competed in Europe. And now in 2022, everyone has to go to uh, South Africa. So we'll see how that affects people, um, not just from the U.S., but Canada, Japan, New Zealand, and the Europeans. Yeah, sure. And then I was going to say, Charlotte, for you, you can say both the women's side and the men's side if you want. Is is there a particular weight class you're interested in or a particular lifter that you're, you're wanting to watch at Worlds? I'm very excited to coach Tiffany and see the battle with Heather. And I'm excited to see the lifters, but also the coaches. I've had really a great time coaching against Sweden last year. We lost everything at Worlds and we won everything at Europeans. But it's it's super fun. And even some top coaches like Chad Wesley, Wesley Smith, I've looked up to them for years. So, uh, yeah. It's going to be great to meet them in the warm-up room. But for the lifters... I guess that's the... For the lifters, I don't know. Maybe the battle between Jessica also. But I think the battles when there's a French lifter and when you are in the battle, it's always more interesting. Yeah, and I guess maybe that's like your... Your official announcement there, you're, you're going to be helping out with Tiffany Chapon in the 47s. Um, can you say or do you already know which other sessions you're going to be in the back coaching or are you going to be there for everyone? I'm going to be there for everyone. It's just when okay. we have two um, for example, when we have Noemi and Shizuka or we will have Pana and uh, Paul at the same time, uh, maybe we will. Uh, I won't be able to coach both of them. 
depending on if I am in a warm-up room or if I do the tickets, but we will see. But basically, I will spend my week in the warm-up room. <laughs> that That's what I'm, I'm used to. Um, are you also, as a coach, looking into the or interested in following the team points? Like, are you trying to get France to place as high as possible as a team? Or are you just focusing on the individual battles and just, you know, taking one weight class at a time? I think it depends if you're, for example, if you can place first, I think you just look at the placing, but maybe between uh, fourth and sixth. Uh, last year, I know uh, we had a 120 plus and he didn't make many points, but it was still super important for the team. So I think when lifters are in the top three, like if you can place third or if you can place first, it's very important and we just focus on the placing. But if people are battling between fourth and sixth or stuff like that, we look at the team points. Okay. And and on the women's side for the team, are you feeling confident in this France versus USA team battle? Is USA used to win and then last year France came in and won and now USA is back with a full team? Do you think France could beat USA head-to-head? I think in the 57, you don't have, there's not anyone from USA. So we will see. Honestly, I'm not sure. I think it will depend on Amelie placing in the 84 plus. So this battle is going to be very important too. Usually we look day after day and we see how we need to manage uh, the rest of the week. Yeah, I'm sure the U.S. coaches will look at it that way. Yeah, we were thinking it's going to be like the beginning and the end. It's going to be Tiff versus Heather because that could be six-point difference there. Yeah. And at the very end, uh, Emily in the 84-plus, you know, can she place, you know, first or second to get more points versus if she places third or fourth, then that can really uh, hurt Team France. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out from, from the first weight class and then the last weight class. We, we lost men first place uh, because of one because of one game uh, between Paul and uh, and Sweden at Europeans. So I think we're going to be very careful with that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's every, everything I have here. I think we're over probably over an hour now between um, everything we've gone over. So again, I want to thank you all for coming on the episode. And I, I'm going to see you all, you know, in a couple of weeks at Worlds. Before we finish off, I also want to give you all a chance if you want to like shout out to or mention anyone as far as a person or any of your sponsors um, to thank them or anything like that. You can go ahead. I know Nico had already mentioned A7 earlier. Yeah. Uh, I'm very excited because I will lift in the same time as the 83 lecture. So I will lift in the same time than Hoen. So mm. it will be really cool because uh, Hoen mm. is an important guy for us. Um, so I think so, that's yeah. it. Just a shout out to, to Owen who will be lifting with Clara and to A7 who is helping them throughout the year and for the competition. Yes. We are very cool to be part of A7 and uh, we can make that uh, international meet uh, Joy, Owens and uh, all of the team yeah. there it is thank you to yeah, Owen Hubbard, 
and the A7 family for helping out them get to Worlds. And we, I guess we'll, we'll all be at Worlds. So you'll get to see Owen. You'll get to see Joy. Um, I'll get to see you all there. And so we'll hang out. And then uh, for those people listening, again, like I said, we already did our preview show for the IPF Worlds, but we're waiting until it's closer to Worlds to drop it. So be sure that you're following us. You'll We'll have an episode for the men's weight class preview show so you can see how where we think Nico and all the other lifters are going to place. We have a separate women's episode so you can see what we think as far as Clara and the trilogy against Agnes Rudin. And then, of course, we have a separate episode where we did our fantasy league picks where you picked our confidence rankings so for those people who don't know you can join our fantasy powerlifting league for the ipf world championships have any of you entered our fantasy league yet yes i did but i told you you didn't put nico i can't place him just in the 120 so, <laughs> so I, I i blame rory you know he must have forgotten him or whatever on the list so i messaged him and said roy you got to put put nico in there in a nomination so he added and corrected it so if you want to pick nico for first for your fantasy league you can now do that thanks uh so yeah if, if people go to the king of lifts um bio and they click on the link there you can get to the league there or if you go to mine i have the link there as well so you can sign up until the day before the world championship starts so it will close on june 5th and then the championships starts on june 6th and it's going to be, you know, crazy battles across all the weight classes. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Fantasy League uh, play, uh, plays out. So, again, join the league. Follow us. Make sure you're listening to our preview shows and everything like that. Again, thank you all for coming. And uh, thank you all again for listening. Bye.